0: Welcome to a special edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Hood. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT and have you subscribe to the YouTube page, youtube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Subscribe to the YouTube page. There might be some interviews or conversations that you might have missed from our program. So check out Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on YouTube. Well, as always, there's always a special edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday because there's so much wrestling. And because of that, I will tell you at the top that Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday will be on twice a week now. Not only Tuesday nights at 9.30 p.m. on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app and, of course, on this podcast. But now we will have a Thursday slash Friday edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. My co-host for the second edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, later on in the week, will be Josh Lopez. Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. As you hear this, that was my last guest in the show. And he is a huge wrestling fan. Of course, you go to ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com and read his reviews of most of the wrestling across the United States and around the world. He loves wrestling just like I love wrestling, just like you love wrestling, so Josh will be my co-host for our second edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. So not just once now, twice a week. I knew this was gonna happen. I knew it was gonna happen. It's so much wrestling that I can't wait until next Tuesday to tell you what happened. You know, so I gotta do it twice now. So I will. I say Thursday slash Friday because my schedule is really tough. For those of you that follow me on Twitter at TweetJHood and know my radio show I have weeknights at 7 on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app, you know I do a lot more than just talk. I'm doing play-by-play this year for the UIC Flames basketball team, Windy City Bulls, G League basketball on the radio side. So I'm doing a lot, as always, in the fall, winter, and spring. But doesn't mean that I can't stop just for a woman and talk to you about wrestling because... You and I are wrestling fans, you know that wrestling's hot. I know that wrestling's hot, and there's so much to cover, and we got to do it more than just once a week. So we're going to try to make this work twice a week, trying to cover the information, especially with the Wednesday Night Wars, what's happening with NWA Power, what's happening with SmackDown. We'll try to cover it for you twice now a week, starting next week, or I guess we've been doing it anyway, but uh, officially next uh, week. Uh, We'll have a fresh Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday as we get ready for MLW coming to Chicago with their Super Fight card. Uh, The first time MLW is on pay-per-view, so we'll talk about that and more next week. But the reason why we're here is because we want to review a number of things in wrestling, including NXT and AEW uh, from Wednesday night. So we're talking about the Wednesday night show from the 16th of October. And so, let's talk about it for a second. Because I AEW, according to the ratings, they won for the third straight time. And I thought that NXT had the better show. And this is no slide at AEW, but we are going to go through the ebb and flow of both shows. And I'll tell you what I think, as I always do. How I watched it, I watched the show's... Thursday morning because Wednesday night there was a rain out of the Astros Yankees game so I actually was on the air while wrestling uh, was taking place on TNT and USA Network so I didn't see either one of those shows live because I was doing my job um, but Thursday morning got up and I watched both shows and I'm gonna give you a review of what I saw so with AEW winning for the third straight time you know that the product's hot but NXT is hot as well and there's there's something, and I hate to make the correlation of the Monday Night Wars because this is not exactly what it is, but when WCW was dominating the WWE for 83 weeks, we started to see a little bit of a shift and a change, right? WCW was on top of the world with the NWO and Goldberg and and the things that were working for that company at the time under Eric Bischoff, And the WWE just continued to just peck away, peck away, starting to get better and better each week because of Mike Tyson and Steve Austin and uh, Bret Hart and Vince McMahon being the biggest heel in the business and all that stuff. Even though a lot of that early Austin stuff, when Austin really started getting hot, still was not resonating with the total wrestling audience for the WWE at the time to win, it started to get better and better and better while the WCW was resting on its laurels. So when I'm watching AEW and I'm watching NXT, NXT, just like AEW, they're both trying to get to a certain place, whether it's their big Event they're trying to get to somewhere, you know that AEW is going to have their full gear pay per view coming up in November. AEW is trying to get someplace too, or NXT is trying to get someplace too. Here's what I mean. I'll start with AEW because that's the first show I watch. AEW then I watch NXT. So from AEW standpoint, that first matchup, we saw SCU against Best Friends. Now it was an unusual start to a show because you usually don't see uh, what we saw. Uh, to to start the show because you don't see like an injury angle at the beginning, but it was hot. It was very hot. Christopher Daniels is in an injury situation and it's not working out. He was uh, hit with a pile driver and then Kazarian and Scorpio Sky had to take over as a tag team against the best friends. When Daniels was taken off on a stretcher, it was Scorpio Sky and Kazarian against best friends, and I thought it was a very good match. I I know it's very obviously a very chaotic open to the match, but I thought it was a really good finish. Thing is, is that it was not necessarily a clean finish as you saw that matchup, kind of a botched finish. Not so horrible, but it was noticeable because you saw the look on Sky's face like, man, that was not clean. Kazarian tried to console him. I don't know if that's an angle because usually if there's something botched, you try to just move off of it right away. I believe there was a replay of that botched finish, so maybe there's something to that. But Scorpio Skies is going to be a star in AEW, and it's a company that could use some, some infusion of... Youth and stars that you could see right away that could be AEW champion uh, in the near future. So, I thought that that was a good match. I'm not really concerned about the finish, but I noticed that they made... I guess the two of them made a big deal of it, Sky and Kazarian, at the end of the match. And it happens, right? Or... Is it some kind of story that we have to keep our eyes on? We'll see. Santana and Ortiz defeating Silver and Reynolds, a squash match. Um, it seems like that's the formula for both NXT and AEW, there's going to be a couple of these squash matches. As someone that's been watching wrestling for a long time, I'm glad it's here because when you have a squash match, you're just trying to push uh, talent out there to say, "Hey, you know what? These guys are some. These guys are this woman is someone to watch." So you really like the squash match. I had no problem with that. Santana and Ortiz. They could have actually done it quicker and a little bit being a little bit more serious about what they're doing. But, you know, I like the old LAX Santana and Ortiz very good. Uh, Rio defeating Dr. Britt Baker to retain the championship. I had a disconnect with this matchup because Britt Baker is 10 times out of 10 better than Riho. I'm going to talk about Riho in just a moment, but I I thought the match was OK. It was not great. Um, but Rio in that finish the finish was believable. The match was not. Just put it that way. Um, if you're going to have Rio win, uh, then that finish is exactly which where you want to go. But that uh, the match was just okay for me. Doctor Britt Baker definitely is a star. I don't know why she had to lose in this AEW Women's World Championship match. It could have been another contender that could have lost against Rio, but. Okay, so we'll get to that. We'll put a pin in that, and we'll come back to that in just a second. The AEW World Tag Team title matchup, I thought Lucha Brothers against Jurassic Express. This one also is controversial, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, I thought that the Lucha Brothers obviously look great. Uh, the reason why that you did not get... The, uh, the Jungle Boy-Luchasaurus combination is because Luchasaurus is out with that hamstring. I've been seeing this in the several places that he has a hamstring issue, so he's out. So that's why you're able to see Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt as a tag team. Uh, Jungle Boy, that part of it was good. Marco Stunt was in there and did some moves there. I thought that for someone his size, um, for him to be kicking out of some of the Devastating Lucha Brothers uh, production and moves in that, that was a little bit of a disconnect for me. Uh, I think that clearly, as you can see, Marco, he's an underdog. Um, but there were some moves in there. It's like, wow, you know, if he's hit and run, as a performer, cool, but for him to be kicking out of some stuff as if he's Jungle Boy or some of the bigger talent on the roster, that's, uh, I thought that was uh, very curious. Again, we'll put a pin on that, and I'll I'll explain this a little bit later on in our podcast. Kenny Omega and Hangman Page defeating Pac and John Moxley. <laughs> you, you, you Now, because of that matchup, you got a, a Pac and Moxley matchup for next week. Uh, that'll be fun for sure. You, you don't know who the babyface and who the heel is uh, in with these four because Pac, there's no question that Pac wants to be hated. There's no doubt about that. John Moxley is in there, and he wants his hands on Kenny Omega. Hangman Page, of course, is a rising star in the company. I like this match. I liked it. it. Again, not a classic, but you understand the story. See, it, here's the thing in this Meltzer era of pro wrestling, where everyone's looking at buy rates and looking at ratings and looking at work rate and looking at what's a five-star match, what's a two-star match and all this stuff. As long as you are trying to excel the story, trying to push the story uphill and you understand what's going on. It's very clear. I have no problem with that. Um, I knew this was going to be, was not going to be a classic. I knew there was going to be a lot of hard striking in this one and I got what I thought I was going to get. I thought it was a really good match between the two uh, tag teams. The AEW world championship matchup with Chris Jericho defeating Darby Allen in that street fight. Not really a street fight. A Philadelphia street fight, but not really a Philadelphia street fight. That was my biggest takeaway. It's like there was some weapons that was used, a kendo stick here, a, a chair there. Uh, but what you saw in this matchup is Chris Jericho giving a lot to Darby Allen, uh, Chris Jericho tying up the hands of Darby Allen with uh, that masking tape, with that electrical tape. And Darby Allen still being able to do a lot of moves on Chris Jericho. Now, he, here's... Here's where you look at wrestling in 2019. Okay. We can look at Ric Flair. We can look at other heels that used to beg off and give a lot to their opponent end up still with a screw finish. And they still were able to win, but they put their opponent over. You know what I mean? Like... In this case, Chris Jericho is the champion and he sees Darby Allen. And Darby Allen is it does a lot of great maneuvers, but not a fighter, not someone for me that you seriously look at and say, Yep, that guy's gonna be AEW champion. We still need to know more of a story about Darby Allen. That's one thing. The other thing is, is that I know he can do a lot of different maneuvers, but is there a second and third gear with some of these young this young talent? Chris Jericho gave a lot to Darby Allen, especially when Darby had his hands tied behind him. And again, these are nice stunts. That's not necessarily pro wrestling. And, um, you know, even for Chris Jericho, who's was tenured and uh, has done a lot in the business, he gave a lot to the kid. And hopefully that can move Darby Allen up. But we still want to see more from Darby, more than just some of the high-flying, some of the death defying things that he does. Just want to see more. And Jericho gave a lot to him. That's, uh, I can't say that enough because that surprised me. And, and Jericho ends up winning the, ball, winning the game. Now, here's the thing. Jericho winning the match is one thing. I think he could have done it by himself. He didn't necessarily have to have a member of the inner circle and Jake Hager coming down, running in and shoving Allen off the top rope. And then Jericho, of course, used the walls and then Allen verbally submitted. Didn't have to have that, but it just kind of like it made Jericho look like, man, not only am I a heel, I'm a chicken shit heel. I, I need Jake Hager to help me win a match in which my opponent's arms are tied behind his back. Just think about the visual there. I can't beat this guy with his hands tied behind his back. He must be Superman. (laughs) Uh, Wrestling. It was interesting. Let me, before I talk about NXT, the biggest controversy on social media is about Marco Stunt being in that tag team match with Jungle Boy against the Lucha Brothers. Maybe this is the first time people have seen uh, Marco Stunt, I've seen him in MLW, I've seen him wrestle before, and yes, he's extremely undersized, to say the least, right? I, um, I look at it like this. I have seen huge wrestlers that didn't deserve to be in the ring. I've seen small wrestlers he's say, wow, that's that guy's very undersized. I'll use Jim Ross's theory when it comes to a wrestling roster, and I think it's very apropos, especially with AEW. I think that a wrestling roster should look like a football roster because Jr has always said, well, you know, we've got a quarterback here. We've got some wide receivers here as far as body type and look. And now we need some linemen. We need some offensive linemen, some big guys. We need some defensive linemen. We need some guys that stand out when, you, when they walk in the airport. And that's exactly what AEW needs. This was a show that if you were undersized, uh, you were in a position to get over. And that means even the preliminary match, even that matchup that we saw with Santana Ortiz and that squash match, uh, one of those guys was undersized as well. And I'm not biased against small wrestlers. I'm not. I think there is a place for Marco Stunt in wrestling. But not to the point where he's doing all that against the Lucha Brothers. That's a one of the best teams, if not the best tag team in the world. And he's kicking out on two counts and all that stuff. He can't have the spots that Luchasaurus has. He can't have the spots of anybody on that roster. It's not fair. Because what is wrestling on its surface? about being able to suspend your belief, right? But not with Marco stunts. Like, I, listen, I don't mind him wrestling in the ring. I have no problem with that. But understand that he can't have the same spots as everybody else. It's got to be something where it's a hit-and-move situation, where he's fast, he's faster than everybody else, and he'll be able to just stick and move and do moves like that because he's undersized. Look at the reality of it. He's shorter than everybody else. So him wrestling does not offend me. You know what offends me in AEW? What offends me is Rio as the AEW Women's Champion. Now that is ridiculous. And here's the difference, right? With someone like Marco Stunt, who I said I've seen wrestle, I don't think that he should be able to go head up against someone that's six five or 6'9", six, six or even six foot and think he can stand toe to toe at anybody. Not not toe to toe. Stick and move, high flying moves. Okay, fine. But but not to the point where he should be on a main show, on a tag team against Lucha Brothers and get over. That's that does not work. Not like that. He can't get off he can't get over like Jungle Boy, can't get over like Jericho, can't get over like even Darby Allen or John Moxley or Pac. That doesn't work. But Rio, that's a whole different kettle of fish. It's a whole different story. Here's my point. Rio, they continue to push to us the announcers like Excalibur that was supposed to tell us that, well, she's been training and she's been in the business for over 20 years. She started when she was at the age of nine. Like, so how does that make me feel as a, as a wrestling fan? Like, so she's been training since she was nine years old. No one has that story in wrestling. I don't know why that story is portrayed every week that she's out there. So she looks like she's 16 But I guess she's in her 20s. I don't know. But she has been in the business since she was 9 years old. Okay, great. And they keep pushing her weight that she's 98 pounds. She's 98 pounds. Oh, great. She's 98 pounds. So she's not even over 100 pounds. But yet, she can be able to get over Britt Baker? It's a mismatch as soon as she hits the floor. As soon as she gets on the floor of the arena into the ring, it's already a mismatch. There's no way in hell... Just like I can't see necessarily Marco Stunt beating Santana or, and Ortiz, can't beat Adam Page or Omega or Moxley or Pac or, or Cody Rhodes for that matter. I don't see how Riho is the AEW champion. I understand that this is a Kenny Omega project, that this is a suggestion by uh, Kenny Omega, but there's something going on there. How is Rio the AEW women's champion? And beating Dr. Britt Baker, someone who can really be able to build build a, a, a company on? You could build your women's division with Dr. Britt Baker. And I understand Britt's only been in the business, what, two, three years? And then Excalibur says at the end of the match, well, the reason why Britt Baker lost is because of all the experience from Rio. i mean they're pushing this narrative like i'm supposed to believe like yeah that's right excalibur that's right rio's just so experienced and she just got past dr brick baker bullshit no no i can't buy rio doing anything in the ring and if if she was fast and i don't see a lot of speed from her like you see from marco stunt but if she had speed and she was dynamic and just a speed demon in there, and at, at so short and ninety-eight pounds, okay, now that's an attraction, but not necessarily a champion or a main event person. See, again, there is a distinct difference for my taste. Marco Stunt is just like a lot of other small wrestlers that's gotten into the into the ring and has been able to get over with their speed the the things that they do in the ring not as a winner not necessarily as a champion that doesn't bother me what bothers me is rio that's nonsense it to, to me that i can't see how she is AEW champion and with her champion that further brings down the women's division in AEW cuz NXT's got that beat NXT has plenty of women's wrestlers that are better than NXT. And again, NXT is still a young, growing promotion. But NXT's got a head start on NXT. AEW has the better roster in that regard. But this real thing, no. Now, when it comes to Marco Stunt, I was reading this like you probably were online about Marco Stunt. And if I'm not mistaken, there were some thoughts about Ray Mysterio and Marco Stunt and conversations about that with Dave Meltzer fighting off people, you know, talking about how small Ray was and how, looking at Marco Stunt and all that. Well, I'm not I'm not outraged by Marco Stunt, but I think the way he's used, especially in this matchup this past Wednesday, I think that was a little bit too much. And if by the way, if you go back and watch that match, you can hear the people in Philadelphia groan, like, and you can hear the chant of Luchasaurus because they were wondering, like, where is he, and why is Marco Stunt in this matchup? You heard boos at the beginning for Marco Stunt, and then it turned to cheers as the matchup got better and better. So I think Stunt and and, Lucha, and um, Jungle Boy and the Lucha Brothers kind of turned the crowd, because at the beginning, you could hear at the beginning some groans, like, oh, why is this little guy starting the match? Why is he in the match, and where's Luchasaurus? Maybe that information didn't get around to the audience in Philly at the LaCouris Center. It is the Lacoris Center, by the way. Tell Excalibur that's how you pronounce the building that he's broadcasting from. That's just all part of I don't know homework. Um, so Jim Cornette was not happy on the Jim Cornette Experience. Uh, he was on uh, on Thursday talking about <laughs> talking about Marco's stunt. Uh, he's not happy that Marco's stunt uh, was in that matchup against the Lucha Brothers at all. Period.
1: Marco fucking stunt now. I know I read on the internet afterwards that Luchasaurus hurt his hamstring Excalibur's mush mouth fucking delivery tried to tell us in this match But he, I couldn't understand him because he sounded like a mark Calling wrestling in his friend's basement on VHS, which is he's one generation removed from And uh, so uh, it <clears throat> let's see what else could they have done so People said well they had to the, uh, the match was advertised They wanted to give the people as close to what was advertised Here's what they could have done Luchasaurus is hurt Jungle Boy is a future fucking star Instead of just burying him and killing him Deader than 4 o'clock Let's let Jungle Boy wrestle One of the Lucha Brothers in a single match Winner advances Because since the Lucha Brothers were advancing It wouldn't hurt Jungle Boy To do a job as a single One of these veterans He could get some sympathy Let's say Jungle Boy's got to challenge both of them. He's got to wrestle both of them, like the old fucking tag team deal, and they beat him two-on-one. Or let's say a fucking babyface that needs a a nice, good, solid fucking showing and a win like an Adam Page. Let's say that two-on-one, the Lucha Brothers handicap match, beat the fuck out of Jungle Boy, and he's selling, and the people are behind him, and finally out comes Adam Page to take the tag. And he gets the hot tag and he cleans house and he beats the fucking Lucha brothers. But because they're heels, they complain to AEW and to whoever their fucking commissioner slash matchmaker slash running the fucking show is on the air. And they're going to have to figure that out. And AEW rules that the, the decision is invalid because of uh, Adam Page was not part of the fucking match. So the Lucha brothers as heels advance, even though they lost and it doesn't make any difference on their record. Or, of an, or just postpone the goddamn match. But instead, in a tag team tournament, supposedly for your world tag team championship, on national television, on a show on TNT that's only been on for three fucking weeks, you put Marco Stunt, fuck the fact that you're going to get him hurt. I've been saying this, they're going to get this kid hurt. I don't care anymore. He's already been hurt. He hurt himself before. He's going to do it again. I'm not even worried about him now because he's as big a part of this fucking fiasco as the rest of these enablers and fuckwits. Fuck you, Marco Stunt. I might have voted to be goddamn Ron Jeremy at one point, but I didn't have the equipment for it, so I watched the movies. I didn't participate in them. You fucking little dweeb, you twit shit, you fuckwad. You're an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment they put this small fucking child. That's all over Twitter. It's an embarrassment. It's people calling me on the phone right now. Hold on one second. Yes, I agree. It's embarrassing what they did on AEW. And as soon as I finish recording my podcast, I'll call you back and tell you more about it personally. But right now you're on the air. So bye. See? They're calling all over the place. They're talking about it. It was an embarrassment they put Marco Stunt on television for the people that they're trying to get to watch their program. Yes, the defective-minded cosplay wrestling fans that see nothing wrong in this. Oh, well, at least he got beat. No shit, the five-foot fucking 98-pound fucking computer game nerd got beat, big fuck, with the flousy hair and the fucking sunken chest and the sallow body and the fucking pale fishy white physique. He was in a professional wrestling ring with other wrestlers. I'm astonished that not only did they kill all the credibility of their tag team championship, Stacy walked in the room and looked at the screen and laughed and said, what is this guy a midget and walked out on Twitter. A bunch of people said we saw this and could take no more the Lucha Brothers, I can't fucking believe that they did not refuse to be involved in this, and I hope that TNT does not air in Mexico. It's embarrassing. Whoever thought that this should fly should be shot.
0: So, the thoughts there from Jim Cornette. Clearly, he does not agree. (laughs) does not agree with the idea that Marco Stunt is on the AEW roster wrestling. I, I would agree with him only to an extent that Marco Stunt, as a third man in that group with Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, I think that the act works, and it is an act. So I'd agree with that. Uh, but if Mar- Marco Stunt is going to wrestle, it's got to be one of these hit-and-move situations where he gets squashed, because I don't think that... This is not one of these underdog situations. It's not one-two-three-kid It's it's different. It's it's not the Mulkey brothers. It's not someone that's of size that's underneath and is able to get one of these quick one, two, three pins out of nowhere. This is not what this is. So, you know, again, he has a place as an attraction, but not to get over and not to be kicking out on two counts of powerful wrestlers. Rio, that's a whole different story there, as I mentioned. You heard my thoughts on that. I'm just, I don't, I have a, a complete disconnect when I see her in the ring because I'm thinking about all the great women that I'm watching across the country and around the world that wrestle. And Rio's AEW champion? Nah, not in the women's division. That doesn't work for me. Absolutely not. Now we move on to NXT. Tommaso Ciampa defeating Angel Garza. Angel Garza, who is a, what, second, third generation wrestler, whatever it is, he's going to be something. But Ciampa's there because he's healthy now, and he wrestled a really good match, I thought, against uh, Angel Garza. Didn't hurt Garza at all, and Ciampa's out there because he is destined to be NXT champion. He has got quite the look. He's gone through a lot with his injuries, too. Coming back sooner than he's supposed to, he really wants to entertain, and I think he's a very... Uh, interesting character uh, for NXT, and has been for a long time in wrestling. But really coming into his zone on a national stage of NXT, Imperium against uh, Danny Burch and Oni Lorkin is a match I want to see ten times out of ten. It's what I want to see because I I love these two tag teams. First of all, I'm a, a an Imperium Mark because I think wrestling needs more of this. Eichner and Bartell are a terrific tag team. Marcel Bartell, just that that look, that, that look of disdain on his face just is amazing. Eichner is just this bulldog of strength. Uh, He's really good. And for a big guy, he can do a lot of great moves. So I, I like that tag team. And I also really like Danny Burch and Oni Lorcan. I like them a lot. Lorcan and Burch are just ter- terrific as a tag team. Uh, I like them individually as well. It's just a good veteran team, and uh, all four guys put on a really, really solid show. So I, I like that uh, that tag team. I could see those guys wrestle all the time because they're going to put on a good match. Io Shirai against Caden Carter. Io Shirai as the heel, uh, it works for me. You can see how she was a heel when Rhea Ripley stepped into the ring. The highlight for me is after the match, Rhea Ripley comes in, steps to Io Shirai. I guess Ripley now is a babyface, has been, I guess, for a couple of weeks. Io Shirai, if you notice the confrontation, right? Shirai takes a step backwards, keeps stepping away, and then goes out of the ring. That's what heels do. That was a really – someone must have talked to her about that, or she had the instinct to realize that – She's got a bigger opponent in front of her, and like for sure, Rhea Ripley is not about any nonsense. So, Io Shirai took a powder. She got out of there. And so, I like that. I like to see that matchup, as a matter of fact. That was kind of cool. Keith Lee against Dominic Dijakovic. Oh, there's got to be. Could someone please send me some of the matches of them on the Independence? I've been reading about this, but I have not seen some of their matches from the past. I like to see some of their matches because everything I read is, this is a match you want to see because of how huge, how big these guys are, and just everything is just a, uh, can you top this when it comes to the power moves? Really, really good. Really like this. You didn't like the finish necessarily because here comes the Undisputed Era. And, he, and here comes, after a really good matchup, solid match, you know, big guy gets big guy. Here comes the Undisputed era interfering in the matchup. And it's like, ah, after all of that, right? Here comes Rodney Strong. Here comes Rodney Strong out there. And Roderick Strong interrupts what could have been a really nice finish. And that sets up now a triple threat match. I liked the angle of that, but i would have loved to see what uh, how the match was going to end with uh, djokovic and uh, and keith lee by the way is there a different facial expression from keith lee besides him looking like he you know just went through morning glory or or had an afterglow what's what's up with that face like everything is got the same face almost for everything is there an anger to keith lee I, there's power to keith lee no question i just want to know is there anything besides oh, oh, oh. I'm really, really good now. Bask in my glory. Great. Is there anything else to Keith Lee besides that face? Can't take anything away from his ring ability, though. That big guy can do a lot of things in the ring, just like cruiserweights can. That's pretty impressive. Him and Donovan. Very good. Dominic. Um, Matt Riddle in a squash match against Bronson Reed. Someone hit me up on Twitter, said Bronson Reed reminds them of like a Samoa Joe type. Um, Bronson Reed definitely could be someone uh, that is uh, a really solid wrestler for some company. NXT, maybe you could say that as well. Matt Riddle was in there to just kind of do some moves against the big guy. And uh, I liked it. You know, it's just it's another enhancement match to push Matt Riddle even more so. Uh, is it Tainara Conti? The Brazilian uh, superstar against Tegan Knox, Tainero, my God. She is something, man. Is she ever going to be like a big-time wrestler? If not, she'd just go back to, you know, she could be definitely be a model. She could be anything else she wants to be. But she looks great. <laughs> she looks great in the ring against Tegan Knox. Really enjoyed that, um, to see both of them in there. I didn't learn anything about the match, necessarily. I don't think it was necessarily a great match it was just great to see Tainera Conti if that's really her name which it's not um and Shayna Baszler came out and cut probably the best promo that she's had in NXT <laughs> talking about Tegan Knox and all the injuries that she's had that was pretty good uh, I like that Killian Dane in a squash match against Boa here's the funny part how did Boa get promo time <laughs> he got squashed last week and then he's out there against Killian Day and he's got promo time like you don't get promo time what is this? But, you know, Killian Dane with a squash and the best match of Wednesday night was Damian Priest um, against Pete Dunne that was the best match of the night for me and it was more or less a contenders match and a great challenge match and Damien Priest got over. And Punishment Martinez, Damien Priest is really good. And I knew that before he came to NXT, obviously. Um, and him taking on Pete Dunne liked it, liked it a lot. Um, but the way these two are trading strikes, a uh, smaller wrestler against a big time wrestler, you know, big in stature in Damien Priest. And I just thought that the near falls were good. I thought that the some of the spots in that was very good. Uh, I thought it was um, a really solid wrestling show. It had a ton of matches on here, and they did a good job. I thought of just establishing the characters. Now let me go back to my initial thought about WCW and um, WWE in the Monday Night Era. What I what I want to talk to you about is this, before we hear from Bruce Pritchard, and that is that. During the time of the Monday Night Wars, once we saw WCW get a substantial lead over the WWE... We start see the WWE just slowly creeping up, just setting their storylines, not trying to do too much. Yeah, they're still trying to establish Mr. McMahon as a character and trying to get their wrestlers over the cruiserweights and then all the other stuff underneath Austin and Hart and Undertaker and all that stuff, right? But they slowly but surely were able to build what they're trying to do to be able to get on top. This is what I see from NXT, and I thought they had the better show. They had the most wrestling, and I think they had the better show. Um, we saw two good uh, production pieces, one from Cody Rhodes. I thought that was brill- brilliant because Cody Rhodes is trying to take on Chris Jericho for the AEW championship. That package on Cody was really good. The package from on Finn Balor also very good as Finn Balor tries to figure himself out after being in NXT, goes to WWE, and now he's back in NXT just trying to figure out who he is, I think that that's good because now you could see Finn Balor in some major spots uh, as a veteran wrestler with this young roster again and really more than likely being the face of NXT at some point as a savior. Uh, And that's that's where you have balance. You have the Undisputed Era who's over, right? But you got to have that balance on the other side. And it's something that we didn't see back in the day in the 90s where the NWO was so over and the other side was just Goldberg and nothing else that was getting over enough to be able to take on the NWO. Same thing here with the Undisputed Era. Strong, now you're building strong baby faces to take on the opposition. So I, I like that. I think I like that a lot. So, uh, as I mentioned, I think that. AEW was good, but not as good as NXT. Um, The audience obviously disagrees. The numbers are starting to go backwards now for both organizations, both for NXT and for uh, AEW. As people were wondering about the Wednesday Night Wars, quote unquote, in week one, week two, the numbers continue to go down. It's not about... Baseball because it wasn't there was no baseball game there. Uh, it wasn't about the NBA. There was no major NBA game on. The season doesn't start until the 22nd. So it's just about watching both brands and figuring out as an audience that's over, what, 2 million people actually watching wrestling on Wednesday night, at least based on the raw cable numbers that we see. We're talking about really 2 million, maybe a little bit over 2 million people are trying to decide what to do with their Wednesday night. And it's still early, so it's 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 quite interesting. Always remember this though, as we get ready to hear from Bruce Pritchard. Always remember this: that NXT started off and they talked about how they just wanted to be an alternative. They weren't trying to go out against WWE. They wanted to have their own night. Remember, it was the WWE that could have went any night of the week, but they wanted to plant their flag against NXT on Wednesdays. Didn't have to do it. But they didn't want to have a reprisal of the Monday Night Wars again and have AEW be the supreme brand. AEW still has a lot to work on. Still have a lot to work on. Both brands do, especially AEW in this two-hour format. Um, But AEW's got some things to work on. That's, That's for sure. I think that they're announcing... I love what Tony Schiavone is doing because he's in and out. If you listen to Tony, Tony's not trying to take over the broadcast. Tony's got his reads of tickets. He gives his observations. As a matter of fact, Tony was a really good color analyst when he returned from the WWF back to WCW in the early 90s. Look at some of that stuff on the network. When he worked with Jim Ross, Tony was doing the color and some of the major events. And Tony was very good because he was able to pick his spots, point out things that the heels should do. And just observations. But he wasn't trying to take over the broadcast. He was just very good. I told him that. It's like, you know, you were doing really solid color. Same thing here. Third man on the booth. You have a masked man and Excalibur doing the play-by-play mostly. Then Jim Ross is get, Jim is getting more and more comfortable, you could tell, in the broadcast because he's being a little bit more outspoken each week. But it's just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. Somebody's got to be the play-by-play guy, and the two other guys have to do color. There's one guy in that booth that apparently used to wrestle a lot, and that's Excalibur, but but it's like Excalibur is just still not conversational enough to be able to mix in with Tony and Jim. Somebody's got to be the play-by-play guy, and I just I don't I don't like that booth. And as far as Mauro Ronaldo's is concerned, Mauro... You know, I, I just think some of his stuff can be overbearing at times because, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, uh, you have two solid color analysts in the booth with you. You know, and I I just don't know how Nigel McGinnis can get a word in when Morrow is trying to go through all of his notes and trying to get all of his all of his shit in, and and this guy reminds me of this guy, and this guy reminds, and just using all of these the phrases and these parallels and using five or six of them to get one in one match for one wrestler. And now you're cutting the time from Nigel, uh, in a big way. And Nigel's one of the best color analysts I think in the business, but you can't tell in that booth cause it's hard for him to get a word in. You can't, you can't get two or three lines out before he's interrupted and cut off by Morrow. I don't think that that's right. I think Morrow's the best for the WWE but he could also be more inclusive and let his teammates in. Beth Phoenix also does a very good job on that NXT broadcast as well. Um, but she's gotta be able to be more outspoken and try to get her find her footing on that broadcast as well. It's hard with Morrow. It's hard. Doesn't it's a good booth. It could be better though. That's really what I'm focusing on. Like it's a very it's a good booth, but imagine if the other two, besides Morrow, was able to really shine in that booth like Morrow does. It's It's got to be hard for them, but it's still listenable. I watched NWA Power. As someone that's an old-school wrestling fan, I'm enjoying the studio wrestling from NWA Power out of Atlanta. Uh, I've found the one segment that I hated the most, and it's it's only one so far, and that is Joe Galley as a play-by-play man claiming that he's going to sit down and have a conversation with... um, the NWA champion, Nick Aldis, and the setup for this was, oh, you know, I'm a broadcast journalist. Aldis uh, called my questioning clickbait, and I'm an award-winning broadcast journalist. Oh, gosh, I hated that so much. You know, the award-winning broadcast journalist thing was a rib, something that um, Bobby Heenan would say to Gorilla Monsoon or, or Gene Okerlund. Say hey, you know I'm an award-winning broadcast journalist. I can't be treated this way. That was kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek joke by Bobby Heenan saying that just for effect in the '80s. And Joe Galley said this with a straight face on television. I hated that so much. It wasn't an ode to Bobby. It was just it was him looking like a prick. Quite frankly, just saying, oh, I'm going to get to the bottom of why they said it was clickbait. I want to find out why Camille and Aldis have this thing between them. How come Camille won't speak and all this kind of nonsense? It's like, oh, God, that that drove me up a wall. Otherwise, uh, it was um, (laughs) episode two of NWA Power was really good Um, and because I love the studio wrestling. Good to see Cole Cabana in there with uh, Mr. Anderson. I heard Bruce Pritchard say on his podcast he always thought that Anderson could have been a lot better, but it was some confidence issues and his injury issues that kind of sent him back in the WWE. I don't know. Uh, but it's good to see him back out there. Uh, also, Aaron Stevens was out there as well. Aaron Stevens. Uh, good to see him. Uh, the former Damian Sandow, he was in the first segment. You see Trevor Murdoch out there too. Trevor Murdoch was a guy that could have gotten over big time in the WWE, but because it's Vince McMahon, he didn't see the correlation of him actually looking like Dick Murdoch. He could be Dick Murdoch's son. If you, if you haven't seen Dick Murdoch wrestle, put on Dick Murdoch and then watch Trevor Murdoch wrestle and notice it's the it's almost the same guy. Of course, Trevor's gotten bigger now, but you love that his size is not like everybody else. His persona is not like everybody else. And so he could be a big star in the NWA. He was out of wrestling and they brought him back and that's really good. It's good for him. Uh, so I, uh, I really enjoyed this show. Allison Kaye. Is becoming quickly one of my favorite women's wrestlers to watch. I uh, enjoyed that uh, matchup that she had uh, in the ring. It's really good. Like her title, too. I'm a big fan of that. And um, so, I once again, I just thought it was a really good show. Jim Cornette's knocking it out of the park with his color analysis. I think the broadcast is really good, and they're going someplace. It airs on YouTube at uh, 6.05 Eastern, 5.05 Central Time every Tuesday night. It's an interesting time, but you can always watch it on demand too. And I just like to see, like, in three or four years, where the NWA is going to go. Will they be traveling Georgia, traveling the South, you know, having house shows? Will they just be primarily in that studio in Atlanta or in places in Atlanta? I'm interested to find out what they're going to do with the company. It's, uh, but I like where they're going so far. It's, and the the number one thing I like about the NWA is that you see promos. Where are the promos? That's why, to me, NXT was a better show because not only did they have most wrestling and had the best main event, but you actually saw some promos. It wasn't enough, but they, at least there were some interviews there. Uh, so that that's great. Uh, before we hear from Bruce Pritchard and know I keep teasing this, but... We come to find out that there might be an injury with Velveteen Dream. That's probably why he was laid out in the back in the last uh, show against uh, on um, NXT. So that's why we're not getting Roderick Strong against Velveteen Dream just as of yet. I thought that was very well done, by the way. Notice that Roderick Strong's hair was all disheveled. I was wondering about that. His hair was all over the place and his his shirt was torn. It made it look like there was some kind of incident between him and Velveteen Dream. Go back and watch that and you see what I'm talking about. And and Dream was laid out, so apparently he's not 100%. So we don't get that match just as of yet. But I think that the Undisputed Era, that's the group. You know, them, Imperium. I just think that you love factions because you never know what could happen. So as we talked about before uh eric bischoff was let go by the wwe he was only with the company for three months going on four months and he was let go he moved a lot of his stuff and his wife and his dog from wyoming to connecticut to work for the wwe and he was let go and he was replaced by his friend bruce pritchard and Bruce Pritchard was on Something to Wrestle With with Bruce Pritchard this week on his podcast. And he talked about the um, his reaction and how he feels about Eric Bischoff no longer being with the company.
2: Well, I like to say that I think that Eric Bischoff is first of all, Eric is a friend of mine, and Eric is a good friend of mine that I love personally, I love him professionally, and I was sad for the news that came out this past week, um, on a professional level and a personal level. So, you know, I want to wish Eric the absolute best Eric and I aren't, uh, <laughs> you know, Oh my God, Eric's gone. I can never talk to him again. Absolutely not. And, um, You know, sometimes in business things happen for whatever reason. Sometimes you don't know the reasons and you have to move on. But I do believe that Eric Bischoff is one of the smartest guys I've ever met and worked with. I think he's one of the nicest guys and he also is a human being. So when you sit there and you make comments through a keyboard or through your phone and it's a faceless, just random thing, remember that you're making comments about human beings and you're making comments about real people that have families and real people that yes we're in the public eye and i get that and to a certain point say and do whatever the hell it is you want to do but also remember that it's real life and that we are human and that we do have families and believe it or not we have feelings
0: so the thoughts there from bruce putcher with something to wrestle with with bruce pritchard that podcast you can find that in your archives if you download it you can hear the rest of what bruce had to say but clearly it's a um, kind of unusual situation he brought uh bischoff in i'm sure he was uh, suggested by bruce to vince mcmahon uh to work in the wwe and then four months later he's let go that's business that's how it works so I mentioned to you before, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday is now two days a week. Can you believe this? All the wrestling that's on right now, it's, it's a ton. And I, we just can't do it or a 30 minute segment or for an hour segment we got to do it twice a week. So look for it. Tell people to download and subscribe to the Tuesday wrestling Tuesday podcast. Also if you need to email me, if you can't find me on Twitter, I don't know why you can't. <laughs> wrestling TWT on Twitter and also on Instagram, same thing, Wrestling TWT. YouTube, YouTube YouTube.com, look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. You can email me as well, UTHPods at Outlook.com. That's U-T-H, like under the hood, pods, P-O-D-S, at Outlook.com. So if you have any questions for me, if you want me to promote one of your shows, if you're a wrestling promoter, check in on that email, and we'll get that on the show as well. All right, unless something else breaks, I plan on talking to you again on Tuesday Tuesday the 22nd of October and we'll do a fresh Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday as we look ahead to and kind of review actually Bound for Glory. Uh, The pay-per-view taking place in Villa Park, Illinois. Bound for Glory has not been uh, in the public eye enough in in my view, and it will be on the twentieth because things are changing at Impact Wrestling, and so we will review that show on the twentieth uh, for the twentieth of October. I will be there. I'll tell you my thoughts about Bound for Glory from Impact Wrestling. We'll talk about it on the twenty second of October. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Tell somebody that Jonathan Hood's talking wrestling Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday right here wherever you download your podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for your support. And now, Mid-Atlantic Wrestling.